Hello, and welcome to the Tech Disruptors podcast hosted by Bloomberg Intelligence. In this podcast series, we talk with C-level company executives and management teams about their views on disruption and how it's driving their decision-making and strategy. My name is Wu Jin Ho, analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, and with me today is Extreme Network's Chief Technology Officer, Nabil Bukhari. Nabil, thanks for joining the show. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate you inviting us on this and looking forward to our conversation. So Nabil, when, when I look at ex- Extreme Networks in, in, in the campus switching market, I see a company that's really punching above its weight in terms of the innovations you guys are bringing to the campus switching market. And you're coming against some really, really big players. Cisco is the 800-pound gorilla here. HP Enterprises, Aruba Business, you have Juniper. But to start off, can you give the audience the Extreme Networks elevator pitch? Absolutely. And I think I'll start from the term that you actually use, which is campus switching. I think one of the reasons for our reason to exist is the fact that networking is not just in the campus. And in today's world, it is a lot more than what we used to think about networks to be. We thought like, you know, switching and Wi-Fi, that's networks, but networks have actually expanded way, 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 way on that. So if you would, I would like to describe it this way. So one is obviously the networking infrastructure. That is where you're switching in your Wi-Fi and your cellular and your van technologies and your low orbit satellite, which I'm connected to right now, and so on and so forth. All of those connected technologies, they make up your network infrastructure. So that's the first sphere. The second really is, well, now that the networks are so broad and so wide, how on earth do you actually manage them and orchestrate them and make sure that it delivers the right experience and stuff? And that's really the cloud domain. And that has very much become part of networking. And the last pair is essentially that as you put everything into cloud, it opens up this whole brave new world of utilizing data for an outcome. Now that outcome could be reduction in cost, it could be reduction in risk, or it, should, it could be driving new revenue opportunities. So that sphere is also part of networking. So the first thing is that we play in all three spheres from the infrastructure to the cloud, as well as in the data. And we play all the way from deep telco, all the way down to fortune 500s and all the way down into the mid market. So that's the breadth of in terms of the size of our customers. And in terms of verticals, you can think all the way from retail to hospitality, which is mostly stadium and entertainment, all the way into healthcare and manufacturing and education and, and governments as well, both public sector, you know, globally. So very broad reach in terms of the portfolio and very broad reach in terms of the vertical that we play in as well as a very broad reach into the size of the customers we play in. So that's really defining who Extreme is. But most importantly, the elevator pitch is that, look, our grandparents and our parents' network is not working out for us. And what works out for us is not going to work out for our children, which means that we have to reimagine networking. And in order to do that, we have to reimagine the companies themselves. And that's really the reason why you see a company like Extreme, us, you know, punching above our weight compared to these, you know, entrenched players in marketing, because we understand that networking is really truly about outcomes and it has to be rethought and done in a different way and not the same way it was done for the last 30 years. So there's my elevator pitch. There you go, Nabil. So when I frame this market, right, like you said, there, there's a, the campus switching infrastructure portion. There's also a Wi-Fi portion of, of it. 
Campus switching is about $18 billion. Wi-Fi is roughly about $8 billion. But you're almost picturing or, or, or envisioning a landscape that's bigger than this $26 billion market that IDC is, is framing. One, you know, how big is this market size and, and why should investors care about it? You know, because all the interesting bits have been going to the data center switching part, right? And why should the investor community really care about this market in general? And why is it ripe for disruption now? That's a good question. And I think that brings us to, you know, something that is on top of the mind for all of us, which is really the pandemic, right? So there is networking and what it used to before the pandemic, then there's a little phase of what it did during the pandemic. And now we're really starting to think about in a post-pandemic world. So I think in a pre-pandemic world saying that, hey, $18 billion here, $18 billion here, this is what this you know, the campus networking market, that was, that was perhaps the way to approach you think about it that way. But what happened during the pandemic is that people who used to be in the campuses, devices that used to be in the campuses, applications and processes that used to be in the campus, they essentially all went away. And then they went away somewhere in the world, wherever they wanted to go. And so in that pandemic, we had to make the network reach out to wherever people, devices and applications are. So no longer is the definition of network or, you know, campus networking as it used to be called is just that market size. I actually believe that the market size, the intrinsic market size for networking or the influential market size for the networking where it can actually play is much, much, much bigger than that. Because think about, we used to think about like, Hey, if I am not in the campus, I'm going to connect to VPNs. And then there was a VPN market, right? And then it was like, oh, well, if I'm not in the network, I probably need a different kind of security mechanism, endpoint security or whatever have you. Well, that was considered a different market. But in a post-pandemic world, instead of looking at that as all of these individual markets, I encourage everybody to look at it as that networks have decided, as we understand network, which is infrastructure, cloud, and the data, to now go wherever people, devices, and applications are. And a lot of these technologies that were considered outside of campus networking is going to very progressively become part of campus networking. So the size of this market will increase tremendously. And I believe, or I predict, that some of the separate markets, as we think of them today, will actually merge into this market as we go into this post-pandemic networking world. I, I think one of the core strategies that Extreme has is... Your, your cloud management software, cloud IQ is one of the foundations for your long-term growth, right? You made the Arrow Hive acquisition and that's, that's going to tie into your, your wide, your wide networking business, not a lot, not only the, the wireless. So, so why does cloud management matter? Because we're starting to see other vendors start doing it. The most recent example is Cisco's announcement with tying the catalyst business with their Meraki management system. So. You know, you have the bigger guys copying what you guys are doing. Yeah. I mean, first, I'm really glad they finally woken up. And, and I say it tongue-in-cheek because most of the people there are friends, you know, from state schools, colleges, and, and same you know, companies. So, you know, I could joke about that. But it's about time that the rest of the industry wakes up because when the industry as a whole moves in that direction, it's the customers and the consumers that really benefit. But for us, the journey really started back in 2017 when we, when we acquired, you know, you know, some of the companies and they started putting this strategy together. 
The idea was that we thought at that time that, look, there's two, three things that need to happen. One thing is that networks are not really about campus and then you connect into the network. The network is really about connecting people, devices, and applications wherever they are. And we predicted even at that time that more and more these people, devices, and applications are not going to be a campus. Now, this was already the idea pre-pandemic, and obviously pandemic really, really accelerated that. You know, we expected that this would happen in 10 years, well, it happened in two, right? So that was a massive acceleration, but the trend already existed before that. That was number one. Then we said that, look, if networks have to really reach out to that broad graph, then one of the biggest challenges would be operational and not really technical. And what do I mean by that? Well, if your network is literally like four racks in a building, well, you know, that's easy. You could get on it, connect the console cable, you get on the CLI, do whatever you want to do. But if your network is distributed across seven countries, you know, and multiple buildings and people's homes and this and that and stuff, well, those methods of operating the network are simply not going to work because they will not scale. And even if you could scale it, it will be so prohibitively expensive then nobody would be able to do that. And then we said, but there is the technology that is already available that can solve all of that. And that's really the cloud because cloud can reach all of these places in a very efficient, cost-effective method. So we predicted at that time that networks will progressively become cloud-managed, cloud-driven. And then of course, that is exactly how it happened. And now looking forward, it is not a question of you know, if it will happen, I would predict that in foreseeable future, all networks will be cloud managed because there simply is no other way to do it. No other cost effective, no other scalable way to do that. So that was really our journey. And that's why I feel that cloud management and networking shouldn't really be thought about as two separate things any longer. They are one and the same thing. All networks are going to be cloud managed. All networks should be designed from day one as cloud managers should be deployed that way. And, and that's really where the future belongs. So therefore, if you care about networking, then you must also care about cloud management because these go hand in hand and you can't get to your outcome with only one or the other. So Nabil, it seems as if cloud management Manage is a very important part of uh, managing a network. Now, now, is that table stakes for any type of deal conversations today? So, so great question. I would not use the word table stake for it because table stakes means that you can take it for granted that it exists in all solutions, or at least that's how I think about table stakes. But that's not true because you and I just talked about that Cisco just now starting to talk about it. It will take them probably three, four years to you know get there. So customers cannot take it for granted that any networking solution out there is going to be natively cloud-driven and cloud-managed and stuff. So I wouldn't call it that it's table stakes yet. What I would say is that it is the number one requirement because I think no customer out there should consider a networking technology today that is not natively control-driven, managed, and orchestrated from the cloud. The reason is that as you deploy more and more technology, it becomes so complex and complexity translates into cost. And whether you are a Fortune 500 or a mid-market uh, you know, company, you simply cannot afford that complexity and the cost uh, and run a viable business. 
So therefore, cloud management must be the first requirement. And it's not yet table stakes, but it's an absolute necessity from the viewpoint of the customers. Got it. So when I think of cloud managed still today, I, I think about it more from a wireless perspective than a wired perspective. I, I, you know, things really just don't move around in, in a wired ecosystem. When I think about the penetration rates of cloud managed, how much of the ecosystem is actually for wired networks? So you're right. Typically people have talked about, you know, wireless as being more, you know, in line with cloud. You know, the whole trend that more devices and people are connected through Wi-Fi. So the whole idea that you get more rate of change on the, on the wireless side, so therefore cloud is needed. While that is true, but I think cloud has moved on way past that. So now, for example, while you might not change, you know, your configuration on a wired network that often, but the traffic from your users, your applications and your devices are absolutely traversing, not just the Wi-Fi network, but the wire and more and more the WAN as well, because more and more people, application devices are on the other side of the back. So you must think about the wireless part, the white part of the WAN part together, because if you don't think about it together, three things happen. One is you almost always end up with mismatched policies. Now those policies could be access policies, they could be experience policies, they could be identity policies, but whatever those policies are, if you do not put all of them into the same cloud, I can guarantee you, you will always end up in a mismatch. That translates obviously to degraded capacity, degraded experience, or in some cases, security vulnerabilities. That's number one. Number two, that is really critical from the cloud point of view is that once you connect people and application and devices, it's not just about connecting it any longer. There is an expectation of at least a bare minimum experience, right? Just like you and I were talking about just before you turn on the recording button, that look, I am connected to a satellite. It's not just about connectivity. I need to be able to have this media conference with you or a podcast with you, right? So I have an expectation of experience. And unless the cloud has a view of the current state of the wireless wired band and other portions of the network, I cannot guarantee or even design the end-to-end experience for a person or an application, no matter where they are. That's the second reason. And the third reason, which I harp on all the time is if all of these things are not in the cloud, you are not running your network and therefore your business, the most efficient, cost-effective way possible. And you're essentially leaving money on the table and exposing yourself to eventual risk. So these are the three reasons why all portions of the network must be in the cloud. And now it's no longer just the virus. So you're actually trying to manage a fairly complex network in, in a centralized location. Now, now this actually brings in the concept of AI, machine learning, and automating the whole thing. Where does AI fit in? And, and, and you know, how much of AI is actually adopted in, into these corporate networks? So you know, there's AI and then there's this marketing high figure out AI, which I digress for a second. But one of the funniest things that I saw recently for my five-year-old, we bought a toy for her and that toy cleaned on the box that it uses AI. And my wife and I started laughing about it. Do we really want them? First, we laugh, but is it really AI? The second is, do we really want to have this AI to our five-year-old? But digressing there for a second, but. But that's, there's a marketing part of marketing hype around AI, right? But if you really look at AI as a technology, 
how much of it is being used in an network state, I would say we are in early days. And, and there are a couple of reasons. One is the technology itself, right? Because while AI lends itself massively well, you know, to speech recognition, for example, right, you know, your Siri or whichever one you use, or, you know, some very, very massive mathematical problems, it has not yet been fully adapted to networking problem statements, right? So that's one reason. But the bigger reason is the trust game, right? People still don't really trust AI to make, you know, changes or updates into the network on a daily basis without a human making law. So these are the two reasons why the adoption rate of AI on the network side is not that high yet, but it is taking, picking up speed. So that's one reason. Now, the second part of your question was that, you know, is there, is, is there a reason for it? Why would you, where would you use it? Right now, the early thought around AI was that AI would be used for automation, which very respectfully, anybody who thinks that AI is for automation, I would tell them to go rethink this, right? There are a lot of other technologies that are available out there that are much better suited to automating your network. Right. And, you know, from rule-based expert systems and so on and so forth, AI is not really to automate. AI is really to predict in the broadest sense of the word. Now, we're really applying AI is to take large amounts of data from the networking environment, be it your wired wireless, be it your band or whatever it is, and then put that into an AI system and we want that AI system based on past experiences or how we have trained it, we want it to figure out patterns of problems that you and I as human would probably overlook or wouldn't even know exist. And, and, and obviously I'm keeping it very general, but that's the use of it. So where would you use it in the network? Anybody who says that, oh, I, my configuration is AI based, that's just a marketing hype there essentially, <laughs> you know, <laughs> being very generous right. with their definition. But where it's really useful is in three big buckets. One is reduction in cost. So say, for example, you know, our AI tools, some of the AI tools that we develop, they are simultaneously everywhere looking at thousands of different parameters across your own network and are predicting where things will go wrong. And if you can predict it before it actually goes well, you know, it saves you cost. So that's just one example of it. So that's cost. Second thing is that we have kind of actually moved out from or ahead of this AI ops and we into the digital twin world where we have brought this into the networks for the first time. Well, what's the advantage of that? Well, you know, you don't have to rack and stack it to stage your network it, you know, figure out a golden config and stuff. You can just do all of it in the cloud with the click of a button, saves cost. The second is it saves risk or reduces risk, right? So think about compliance, think, think around security testing, think about on, uh, you know, how your network in configuration and state drifts from a world in configuration and stuff. So that all stuff falls into reducing risk. And the last one, which by the way is my favorite one is essentially generating new ways or revenue based on AI treatment of data. So think about in stadium better. Right. So how do you do that? How do you manage, how do you do it in real time and stuff? There's a lot of AI that is involved in there. So that's a third category. So it's really can be used in any three of them. And I would say that industry right now is just in the first bucket. People are only thinking about reducing costs, 
but it is such a wide space and the applications are so numerous that I think people are just not even scratching the surface yet. So, so based on that last comment, it, it seems as if that you're able to pick up a lot of intelligence coming out of the network uh, that users really don't, don't recognize. And you were mentioning that in, in, in your, your elevator pitch. I mean, could, could you just talk about the, the intelligence, the BI, the business intelligence opportunity? I know that you're really big on uh, sports stadiums, and I'm sure you're able to pick up some stuff on when I want to go grab a hot dog, whether it's going to be the seventh inning stretch or the third inning. Uh, but, but you know, could you talk about some of the intelligence that you were able to pick up and, and, and maybe a, 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 a recent uh, use case that, that you can share with the audience and, and where we can go with this technology from, from, from an intelligence perspective? Yeah, absolutely. And the one thing that I would say before I answer that question is that all of this, this is why, again, going back to your earlier comment that why cloud is so important in networking, because there is no collecting any of this data unless all of your networks are managed and orchestrated by cloud. Right. Because it's just simply not possible. So connecting your networks to the cloud is the bare minimum for this new world, which is data-driven. So any company who cannot connect their you know, networking and associated technologies in the cloud, they can't even think of these instances because they haven't even, they're not even on the same racetrack, if you look. So that is so just a point making on that side. But some of the use cases, the thing you talked about stadium. So absolutely think about not only the stadiums here in the US, but stadiums here in Canada, where I am currently, as well as across the board, you know, big football or soccer stadiums and so on and so forth. And it's really not just about stadium. It is wherever a lot of people, large amount of people are. So there is behavioral data, right? So now we, some of the examples that you talked about, like, okay, which concession stand we should direct people towards, you know, which bathroom we should, uh, you know, move them towards and so on and so forth. Now those use cases have been around for a little while, but you put it a little bit forward. For example, your people who are sitting in the stadium, what applications they are using, right? And now if you say that they are using these kind of applications while sitting in the stadium, that opens up partnership and business opportunities with those companies. Right. And, and I'll give you an example that, you know, some stadium, I won't know, but they did. They realized through this application that a lot of their demographic that comes to the stadium actually uses dating apps when they are in the stadium. <laughs> now, how would you know that? Right. Now, the key is it makes perfect sense. Right. It's the demographic overlap between, between, you know, the two sports stadiums and dating apps, right? Who would have thought that? But this kind of data allows like new sorts of partnerships, you know, to develop and stuff. Now, moving forward, think about, you know, the experience of the stadium. Currently, or the pre-pandemic, there was a very definitive experience that you get in a stadium and a very definitive experience you get when you're sitting in your living room watching the game, right? But in a post-pandemic world, consumers like you and I, we want, you know, the comforts of our living room, but the energy and the atmosphere of the stadium, right? We don't want to show our ticket as we walk in. And I don't want to be like once I'm in the stadium, I have to stay in the stadium. If the innings is not that interesting, I want to walk out and look around and all that kind of stuff. But I don't want to show my ticket all the time and stand in the lights and stuff. Now, these are behaviors that we know from the data that we understand and we capture. So now it translates into 
opportunities. How about we use facial recognition rather than checking your ticket and allow you in and out privileges? Well, if I can allow you in and out privileges, then I can create a business area around the stadiums, right? And now I actually have people who would go for the game, but who also step out and bid the shop and then spend more money there. Right. So it's all these things that open up and these open up only when you have enough data, the operative word is enough, enough and clean data to put into an AI model to develop these, you know, behavioral patterns. Because the thing with AI is AI is garbage in, garbage out. So if your data is incomplete or if your data is not clean or if your data is not consistent then no amount of AI algorithms can fix that, right? So that's really why you want data from this broad swath of network. You want it into the same cloud and you want to make sure that it is clean, consistent, and then run AI on it to reduce cost, reduce risk, or increase revenue. Boy, as I was telling you earlier, I mean, like, people don't think of networks value today but I would encourage everybody to do think of it that way because that's where we're headed in terms of networking. And, and the networks part is just going to evolve to essentially take over a lot of adjacent spaces. So we, we've been talking about, you know, years five to 10, right? Let, let's come back to years two to five, right? We're, we're, we're slowly going back to, to the office. And, and some of these guys are talking about digital transformation. First, why don't we talk about some of the deficiencies of the corporate network that the, the, the pandemic, and then we could talk a little bit more about the technology. Yeah. You know, and we lived through it ourselves as well. We being like the tech company, we were like a little bit better prepared for it, but I don't think anybody was fully prepared for it. You know, one of the key critical, just sticking to the networking lens, if you would, one of the key deficiencies was this this concept that your network exists in your main office, let's say, for example, and then you connect into it. And there were a lot of connecting technologies like VPNs and this and that and all that kind of stuff, right? And it was fine. You know, they were not integrated into the operation model. They were complex. They were not probably, you know, very fast either, but that's fine. They worked fine for that purpose. Now, the moment everybody started working from home, the VPN delivered, and I'm not trying to bash on VPN, I'm just using it as, as a placeholder for that, that degraded experience. So that experience was no longer acceptable. Now, giving this example, I'm in the middle of nowhere right now, and I'm conducting business from here, right? And if, and not just for one or two days, I might actually spend there like two months. So now this, in the middle of nowhere place, is actually part of my corporate office. Right. So the technologies that look, so my IT has to provide me the connectivity, the experience, the security, they have to manage it. And when something goes wrong, I'm going to give them a call or text them better still to go fix it. And now they can't send a person to go fix it in the middle of nowhere. Right? So do the technologies that pre pandemic world were just not, the networks were not thought about that way. They were not sent up that way. The technology even if it existed on slideware, it was never operationalized that way. And if it was operationalized that way, it was too costly to scale. Right. Those were the fundamental issues in the pre-pandemic networks, which I think pandemic really exposed that. And some companies 
did better than others. And but but isn't that a pretty good Neville, isn't that a cloud issue than, than a corporate network issue? So like, like a private cloud, a private cloud issue. So I would say it's both, right? So think about it this way. Now, cloud, obviously, whether public or private cloud, it allows you to kind of reach out to all these places. That is true. But you need to have underlying technologies as well. Say, for example, a VPN can only go as fast. You can only call we get that many VPNs, right? So that's not what we call issues. You need to have a technology that is not VPN. And now, obviously, we're building technologies which are VPN replacements, which are very native, and the experience is very different and stuff. So there, there is a technology thing, and then there's a cloud board. So they both come together. Now, you addressed, you briefly mentioned a point which is super critical in this, which is what kind of cloud? Because we've been talking about cloud support, right? But there's not one kind of cloud. Now, we all think about cloud as like only present everywhere, right? But there are various different aspects of cloud. You can, you can run your cloud or you can have the capability of cloud served from a public cloud, which is typically what people think of when they think of cloud, right? It could be running in some GCP or Azure or whatever, Apple or whatever have you. But that's not the only way to have cloud, right? You can run it in your private data centers. And most importantly today, you can actually run it on edge devices that are distributed globally anyways, but together they come together and give you the outcome of the cloud. So that's the next step. That first it was like, you need to have cloud. And then the second one is the what kind of cloud? Because let's assume you are in US and Europe as well. And in Europe, you are distributed within EU and outside of EU. Good luck trying to figure out all the data residency laws, right? Because you can't just put everything in one public cloud. So having a cloud that can be deployed publicly, privately, and more importantly, more and more on edge compute is absolutely perfect. So I think all of these things in a pre-pandemic network or corporate network, we never really thought about these things. Right. Right. And if we did, it was probably on a CIO's 10 year relationship <laughs> to your point earlier. You know, it was on a white bar. Uh, it was looking, no, it wasn't even on a CIO desk. It was actually <laughs> on, on a whiteboard on the IT department. Yeah, correct. Exactly. Right. And, and good luck trying to get money to actually implement that. Right. But now it is a real and present problem to solve. And it is being discussed in e-teams and board rooms and all that kind of stuff. But now that it is in front of you, the technology, the networking technology as designed and taught and understood pre-pandemic is simply not going to solve this problem. And that was the point of the stating earlier that you have to rethink this problem in a different way. You don't connect people into the corporate network. You take the corporate network where people, devices, and applications are. And that is a fundamentally different way of thinking about networks. And this actually ties into what I get beaten up by investors a lot, right? Uh, the, the shrinking of the uh, cooperative enterprise, right? We, we have new types of flexible work environments. Well, they're not new, but now they're becoming more commonplace. Hot desking, hoteling, and then in the traditional way of looking at networks, that means fewer ports, which is not good for campus networking, right? Sure. And the less required bandwidth inside the cooperative enterprise. One, I... Um, in your conversations with CIOs, I mean, are, are you actually seeing that? And then, and, and two, is, is that a net negative 
I, I don't get it's a ne- negative. I, I think it actually opens. It sounds as if, based on our conversation, it sounds as if there's a, a, a bigger opportunity or newer opportunities of of dollars that opens up for for you as well as your peers. Yeah, absolutely. And and let me maybe kind of like point something here, which you briefly talked about it earlier as well. Look, when people, investors, and, and everybody else, they used to look at the network, they associated a network with the real estate footprint. Because that's what it was. If you have a building, you need a network. If you don't have a building, you don't need a network. Right? That was the that was the logic behind it. And to a certain extent, people still think that way. But while in a post-pandemic world, the real estate footprint is shrinking, the networking footprint is actually massively increasing. Because now you and I are not just sitting in the office. We sometimes want to work from our main home. Sometimes we want to work from our vacation home. Sometimes I want to work from the coffee shop. And I want you to provide me connectivity, secure connectivity, experience, and fix problems if they happen. So it's actually going the other way that where the real estate footprint is shrinking, the networking footprint is massively expanding. So that's the first thing where we have to kind of decouple real estate footprint from networking footprint as we think about the future. So that's the first point. And then it leads into exactly the comment that you made and that this actually opens up a huge amount of opportunity for networking, you know, to become broader and more pervasive and not just centered around the corporate office. And this is what I am seeing when I talk to, you know, the, the large CIOs or CEOs or even board members of large organizations or small organizations. This is exactly what they're thinking about. They talk about it in this way. It's like, look, I need to wrap my head around, head around this hybrid thing. Now, what is hybrid? Hybrid is now the network that's running in your home or your coffee shop and the network that's running in your, your corporate office. They must come together to provide the same kind of experience, whether the user or the consumer is on one place or another place. So this hybrid thing, whether it is hybrid work, whether it is hybrid shopping, right? I'm shopping both in person and online at the same time, or it is hybrid education. I have a digital and in-person curriculum at the same time, or it is hybrid healthcare, where I am talking to my doctor, you know, over Zoom, I am sitting in my home. And the doctor is sitting in his or her home and she needs access to my medical records and MRIs and all that kind of stuff in real time, securely, wherever his or her home is. I mean, it just like boggles the mind, right? It's just so essentially this hybrid thing, and I'm using your quotes here, this has just expanded the network beyond anybody's imagination. And that is huge, huge amount of possibility an opportunity, especially for networking companies like ourselves. And I would like to make one point here. Why? Because some of the technology already exists to do a patchwork of this connectivity, but the patchwork leads to complexity and cost. In order to do it in a sustainable, cost-effective way, there has to be one network and only one network, which goes everywhere. And that is an amazing amount of opportunity in front of companies who can understand it and then be bold enough to go after that. But I think networking is a massively exciting space, not just for the companies that are in it, but for the investors who are looking at it or analysts that are looking at it. It's just a different world altogether. So I, I want you to put on your CFO hat. Even though you are the CTO, I want you to put on your CFO hat, right? Because... When, when, when I'm the CIO, I only have X number of budgeted dollars for this stuff. And then all of a sudden this hybrid work 
or, or, or this completely distributed network comes on because of a, a flexible work environment. Where are those dollars? Do, one, do I have the dollars to invest in the vision that you have? Right? And you're not the only one that has this vision, right? And where am I getting those dollars from? Because money in means someone else has money out. 100%. So that's a, that's a brilliant question. And that's a question that we get asked all the time. And by the way, I think of a list all the time as well. So think about like one of the things that we just talked about as your, as your physical, let's call it the real estate footprint shrinks, your digital or your network footprint expands. And I see a lot of dollars will move from real estate into this digital footprint, which is really network. So that's what's a fair point. point. Yep. Right. So again, by the way, there's, there's a lot of money <laughs> yeah. that is stuck in real estate. Right? So that's, that's what here. The second part really is that, you know, we think about networks in two ways, right? We typically think about like, oh, networks are needed for associated technologies because now networks are not just Wi-Fi and wireless is the cloud and data and everything together. We think about like, oh, it's actually needed when you are growing. Right. So it needs to feed that growth. And when you're not going, you don't need to spend on it. I would actually challenge that because actually these technologies reduce complexity and cost. So what happens is when you're growing, you want to provide all of these things because your business is actually going. But when the business is not going, what do you typically do? You want it to be more efficient. You want to cut costs. You know, you want to save money. And now people are actually thinking of networking and associated technologies as a way to cut costs and become more efficient, even when their businesses are not going. And that is an application of networking technology that we have never seen before. This is very, very recent, and it's only possible with cloud and data and AI and ML and, and all these things that it opens up. If it were just the ports, you know, or the Wi-Fi hanging from the ceiling in my corporate office, then yes. If, you know, businesses stop or they're not going, then I would be cutting those. But today your entire business runs on network. You reach not just your employee, but also your customers and your partners through networks as well. So it underpins the entire business. You invest in networking and networking technologies when you're going for growth. You invest in networking and networking technologies for cost efficiency and scale when you're not growing. So it works really well for us, doesn't it? Right. <laughs> we can provide, we can provide value in an upturn and in a downturn, but that's not a characteristic of an AP or a switch. That's the characteristic of a portfolio that marries the infrastructure, the cloud and the data, which is really why I very strongly believe that we as extreme are really, really positioned well for the future, be it an upturn or a downturn. Right. Well, let, let's shift gears to, to Wi-Fi real quickly. We're in the Wi-Fi 6 and 6E era. Wi-Fi 7 is on the horizon. I mean, besides speeds and speeds, I mean, why all this hype around the newer Wi-Fi? Because Wi-Fi 5 still works for me. <laughs> That's true. It's so funny you say that because I say the same thing on the LTE and 5G side as well. I was like, well, if I can download my cat videos three seconds earlier, I don't think that's a reason to invest in it. 
but joking aside, the big difference between Li-Fi 5 and 6 versus 6E, because one thing, I will put Li-Fi 5 and Li-Fi 6 in one category, and then Li-Fi 6E and 7 in a different. Because while Li-Fi 6 was an evolutionary step above Li-Fi 5, 6E is fundamentally different, and it really goes down to the spectrum part. So now you, so it really adds the six gigahertz spectrum band into it, which was not earlier available for Wi-Fi. Now you could think about spectrum can be translated into bandwidth in the Wi-Fi world. So yes, it gives you more bandwidth, but that's not really the reason. The reason is that the six gigahertz spectrum is actually a lot cleaner than the five gigahertz or the 2.4 gigahertz. There's a lot of other, you know, stuff that runs in that spectrum and a lot of the time. You could have as much, you know, APs as possible or Wi-Fi units as possible. Hey, hey, Nabil, all of this has been fantastic. One, I go through some rapid fire questions. Wi-Fi is close to my heart right now. Can you just talk about the, the Wi-Fi 6, 6E, 7 transition, number one? And then number two, following on to that, you know, 5G is, is starting to really ramp up and private 5G networks. What does that mean to, to Wi-Fi? Can those two businesses coexist? Because that's been a an area of debate in, in the networking community, as you know. Yeah, absolutely. Look, Wi-Fi 6 was an incremental increase on Wi-Fi 5, but Wi-Fi 6E is a fundamentally different technology because it adds to the 60 gigahertz, you know, spectrum there. Now, not only does it allow more bandwidth to the end user, but it's a cleaner spectrum, so therefore it allows a better experience. So I think the reason for Wi-Fi 6E and therefore 7 will build on it is that now we can push more bandwidth intensive applications and more experience sensitive applications farther out. And then later down the road, there will be edge computing applications that'll come along with it, but that's a little bit farther out. That's a short, quick answer on six versus six E. Yeah. And the 5G coexisting? Absolutely. 100%. Think about it this way. Wire and wife try to coexist so it has Bluetooth and Thread and 18 other, you know, IoT protocols that are out there. I think there is an absolute space for Wi-Fi and 5G cellular to coexist because they will all provide different use cases. But where I see going it is that where they will come together would be how do you manage them? How do you orchestrate them? How do you determine the experience when endpoints move between Wi-Fi and 5G? And more importantly, how do you secure the endpoints that seamlessly move? between the two. So I see as connecting technologies, these two absolutely coexisting, but a lot more opportunity in the cloud side where you start to bring together the orchestration and data between two. So this is actually an exciting space for us. So, so I know you're not an economist, right? Now, now the fears of a macro slowdown is growing and typically in a downturn, you know, the flowers go first and then comes the, the campus networking. Right. That, that tends to be a lower priority spend in, in overall IT. And you can explain nicely why this time is different, but why would this down potential downturn be any different before campus switching? Right. And for, for, from an economic standpoint versus a, a, a an equipment standpoint. Yeah. And, and we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier as well, because in previous downturns, you were absolutely right. You know, people would be like, oh, well, I'm not hiring people. So I'm not going to put those extra Wi-Fi switches. Okay, that made sense. 
But that was then, and now the network really underpins your entire business. It is not just about connecting your employees. It is connecting with your consumers. It's connecting with your partners. It's being able to run your business, right? So it really underpins the entire business. So that's one reason where it fits into a very different spend category now than it used to previously. Previously, it was a little bit discretionary spending. Today, it is considered an absolute essential and underpinning of your business. And the second part, I will repeat, if you, if you look at that, I would repeat what I said earlier, that networking and associated technologies like cloud and AI and ML, they help you grow in an upturn, but they help you become more efficient and cut cost and risk in a downturn. So I actually believe that even if in a downturn and a protected downturn, the use of cloud related technologies, the networking, the cloud-driven networking, the AI and ML tool will actually increase because it reduces complexity, reduces cost, reduces risk, things that a CFO loves in a downturn as well. So this time it is very different for networking compared to previous downturns. Got it. Last question for you, Nabil. Environmental, social, and governance is actually a, a big investor theme. Hyperscalers are actually really thinking about it more and more as part of the data center builds, uh, largely in terms of energy efficiency. How does that come in? Does that actually come into play in your discussions with customers? And, and how do you factor that into your future products? So absolutely, and more so now with the current global situation and energy crunch and energy prices and stuff related to that, not just in North America, but in Europe and in Asia as well. This is more and more of a topic. For us, it has been near and dear to our for a little while, for, for longer than that. Uh, so there's two aspects to it for us. One is us becoming greener, right? So we publish our ESG report via very public, um, you know, um, milestones that we are moving towards uh, in our supply chain, in our footprint, uh, in our carbon footprint, and so on and so forth. Uh, so that's one aspect of it. But then the second aspect of it is us helping our customers become green, let's just say, for example, right? So that means building technology takes lower power. I mean, it's some of our latest ESD run in like less than 30 volts of power, which is just freaking on the earth, right? So that has never been the case because the world is like, oh, energy is unlimited in an upward use as much as you want. So that's one aspect. And then the later part, as I keep talking about data, like you, you would be surprised that how customers cannot tell you how much power their network actually uses. They can tell you what their electricity bill is, but they can't really tell you how much power, and especially if you're more distributed and more global, how much power your network actually uses. So we are building in our cloud, obviously, on the data that we have, we are building analytics tool that tell you exactly not only how much power you're using, but all the areas in which you can actually reduce your power consumption without impacting the experience of your people, devices, and applications. That's the future of, you know, ESG, especially just specifically talking about green and reducing your power for green and reducing your power consumption. But mean, all things come back to, if you only look about the infrastructure, some things are possible. But when you match the cloud and the data and the infrastructure, a huge space just simply opens up and things that you wouldn't even imagine before become possible. And that is essentially now coming all the way back to our elevator pitch. Now that is the real elevator pitch 
we can bring the power of the cloud and the data and the network together in the palm of your hand. So you can be more profitable, more efficient, and hopefully we'll help the planet in, in, in the process as well. Well, that, that, that's a great way to, to end here. The elevator doors are actually closing right now. We'll, we'll wrap up here. Bill, thank you for joining us and sharing your insight on Extreme Networks. Everybody, thank you for listening on to the podcast. You can find our podcast on the Bloomberg Terminal or on iTunes and on, th- and on Spotify. Thanks, everyone. Have a good day.